and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Adaptation Station podcast. This episode is dedicated to all of you hybrid teachers, those of you out there who are basically doing two full-time jobs at the same time. I can't imagine how difficult it must be right now, and I'm so excited that five of my friends were willing to come onto the podcast and share how they're making this hybrid teaching model work. I'm going to let Sophie, Megan, Bree, Cassie, and Braylon all introduce themselves onto the podcast now. Hi, I'm Sophie from Where I Oughta Be, and I currently teach a self-contained classroom kindergarten through fifth grade. Hi, my name is Megan Ryan. My Instagram handle is at ageappropriatesped. This is my 11th year teaching, and I work with students with autism 18 to 21 in a transition life skills classroom. Hi, I'm Brianna Shoulders. My Instagram handle is spedteacherbree, and I teach in a K-2 um, MOID classroom. Cassie Lutenager. Uh, my Instagram is Adventures in Behavior. I teach middle school, sixth through eighth grade, functional academics. Hi, so I'm Braylon Martin. Um, I am at That Special Educator on all social media, and I teach kindergarten through second grade self-contained. When you have students who are distance learning and you have students in the classroom, you might find that the way you use your paraprofessionals is different than how you used them in previous years. Cassie, Sophie, Megan, and Braylon are going to share about how they're using their paraprofessionals during this time of hybrid teaching. So I am face-to-face and virtual. So Right now, uh, my paras are primarily working with the face-to-face kids, uh, but we do have to provide inclusion support for electives. And so they will be doing uh, virtual Zoom breakout sessions, basically, so that they can help the virtual kids if they choose to log in during those time periods. And then right now we are hybrid, And what that looks like for us is four days a week in person and one day a week, everybody in the district is virtual. And so on those virtual days, they will be doing office hours to help kids who choose to log in um, that may need help with their um, virtual assignments. So there are two different suggestions that I have for this. The first would be if your paraprofessionals have access to a computer because personally in the spring mine did not, they weren't given district computers. So they had no access to join me virtually for instruction slash they weren't really instructed to. 
The paras in the spring were more doing like professional development and they weren't really involved with the instruction. So my first suggestion is if they do have computers would be to utilize them in the breakout rooms because something that I found with virtual teaching is that it's extremely hard to accommodate virtually. Like when you're in the classroom, I feel like it's so easy. Like you can kind of do things on the fly. If you have like a worksheet, you can modify it pretty easily, but virtually you have to like have a plan and you have to execute that plan and you have to like plan ahead of time. So for me, the way I was able to implement accommodations was by using my paraprofessionals in the breakout sessions in Zoom. So if they do have computers, like mine did, we were running the exact same lesson, but different groups. So um, I kind of grouped my kiddos. There were some who needed higher levels of support and they were in a lower ratio room um, as far as adults to child. And then there were some students who need less levels of support and they need an extra challenge and they need um, an extension of the lesson. And so I had a para running that group too. So I would, if they have computers, utilize them in those breakout sessions. And if they don't have computers, like the spring, I used my paras to connect with the students. So I do wish that I would have, you know, delegated that and been more direct in what I said to them. And I wish I would have said, um, can you please think of ways to connect with the kids? But some of the things that we did, because um, I kind of took that upon myself, is to um, we would include that like a new picture every week for our morning, uh, our morning meeting Google slides. So I would have them take a picture with like a positive little sticky note and they would say, you're doing a great job or I miss you or I love how hard you're working, things like that. And I'd make a little collage and include that. Um, and then we also mailed our students things. We prepared little goodie bags for them. So just finding different ways to connect with the kids because it's very important that they are still seen all their teachers' faces, not just you. Um, so those are the two suggestions I would have. For my classroom, I rely on my paraprofessionals a lot already, and they are amazing. During a regular school year, they have a lot of responsibility, such as taking the students to worksite all by themselves, and they are really the teachers when they're there and they're in charge. So they've really taken ownership of being that second, third teacher in the classroom. Nothing has really changed for blended learning. So instead of going to the community, they're going on the computer and they're teaching those lessons. So we are doing the blended model. So I'll create a slide deck for the day. In the morning, we meet for half an hour and go over all the lessons. And then the two of them log on. They meet with the students who aren't there on those particular AD days. And they teach the lesson just like we are in the classroom. They even meet with the students one-to-one -one throughout the day in order for all the students to meet their IEP goals. I'm using them in a lot of different ways. Um, when it comes to in-person, I am really um, relying on them for all of my small groups, especially when it comes to like transitioning kids and sanitizing afterwards. Um, but online, when it's like virtual learning, um, when we're on Zoom or Google Meet, I use them for my breakout rooms. Uh, but even in between that, um, a lot of times I might have 
students in person and then some students that are online. And so they've been really helping me uh, by meeting with those students one on one doing different interventions. Um, and so they've been really flexible and supporting me. Bree had one more tip she wanted to tie in to how she's using her paraprofessionals. She's going to explain a little bit about how she's using breakout rooms for those distance students and how she allows her paraprofessionals to help her in that setting. So it's very useful for virtual teaching for me that we do rotations. So what we do is breakout rooms are our best friend. We always start with like our main room, like morning circle and a little bit of a brain break time. And then after that, I open up like different, at least, I don't know, eight breakout rooms that each kid can have on their own. And then my pairs and I move throughout the breakout rooms um, every 15 minutes for rotations make them co-host so sometimes they can join or admit students in there without me having to like always be the one moving them because sometimes the host has to do it but when I make them co-host they can do it on their own which is so helpful. We know that IEPs are legally binding documents that are the foundation of our classroom. There are so many things in that IEP that we need to be thinking about. Our goals, our services, our accommodations. We'll need to be doing assessments. We'll be needing to do progress. All of that can be really challenging to figure out how to approach in a hybrid teaching model, but both Bree and Braylon have tips on how they're making that work with the limitations of the hybrid model. This one is extremely, extremely hard because, you know, in the classroom, normally you would take an initial assessment and if the student can do it without like any, you know, problem behavior or multiple prompts, then we can, you know, mark it as mastered in the baseline. Well, with virtual, since our students are not used to being on the computer, I just have to just take it with the prompts or I have to find digital shared activities or I ask parents to come pick up materials if possible for the student to, can handle doing an initial assessment over virtual and just try to assess them that way. Um, mainly for stuff like matching. Um, I use the Steyer Fitzgerald assessment and some of it is like matching and um, finding coins in a field of three, identifying bills in a field of three. But if they're identifying, of course, that's easy because I just hold up a card and ask them what this is or read words for me. Yeah, it's really tricky. Um, I'm trying to organize the best that I can. So I really have been making sure that what I can provide in person, I can try my hardest to translate it to remote. So students with accommodations of extra time, frequent breaks, um, you know, maybe an audio book versus a regular book, those things are really simple to translate online because um, you just provide the time but when it comes to just adapted work um, I really have to take a lot of things and make them digital um, and I provide a lot of things ahead of time which might overwhelm people but I actually give um, like families the work on Monday like the digital work um, because that way they can go at a different pace so they can still work with me or with my paraprofessionals, but they have time. If we don't finish, they can 
work on it later. Um, and when it comes to like working with accommodations, I kind of had to pre-teach everything virtually ahead of time, how to use the different platforms. So yeah, as many things as I can, I'm trying to translate to remote, but it's definitely been a challenge. Bree has an extra tip on how she's making errorless learning work using the hybrid model. So for the kids who require errorless learning, I either send home file folders that I've prepped for them that they can just keep home for the rest of the year or just, just forever if they want to. And I try to have their parent, because my parents are very involved in my classroom this year. So I have parents, I just try to guide them and instruct them like, hey, let's teach them how to put the apple on the apple or the apple on the number one, just match the one completely errorless. Or for some of my students who are able to handle like a digital shared activity, I put it up on my shared screen and they'll tap the correct, um, correct quote-unquote <laughs> answer with the parent letting me know that they tapped it so they're learning how to use the computer with the shared activity Sophie has a tip to help us help our students build endurance in this type of learning environment So at first this was really hard um, because there is an immense amount of pressure. This is another thing that kept me up at night to meet every single minute in my schedule. And again, I was just lost at how that was going to even be possible. And I think that we have to go back to exactly what we're doing in the classroom, which if you think of the first day of school, your kids might not be able to sit for two minutes, but you take those two minutes, you take whatever is, is successful, and then you build on that. And so for us, that's what we've been doing. And then another thing is just keeping the lessons very consistent. So for me, um, for example, for math, we always start with, with a song because I know that a song is engaging to my students. They get to choose the song. There's always a song chooser and they love that. And then we go into a math warm up. And then we have an interactive activity and then we have one more thing. So it's like the same four things. So just keeping the structure is huge um, and then keeping it fun too. So some of the fun things that it's hard to keep it fun virtually because you're not really, it's, it's just hard to connect in that same way as you used to in the classroom. So um, some of the things that we do is we play a lot of games virtually and I'll probably talk about that a little bit later but it's so important to have things that are going to engage the students so um, digital activities that offer like immediate reinforcement is what has been successful for us. When you have students in person and distance learning one of the hardest challenges is knowing how to balance both of those jobs. Sophie, Cassie, Megan, and Raylan are all gonna talk about how they're making that balance work. 
I completely agree that it's extremely difficult. It definitely feels like double the work. Um, I think that as we, you know, go along, we're going to get better at it as we practice more and more. Um, but one of the things that has worked for me best to streamline my virtual lessons is choosing activities. And a lot of this has come from Teachers Pay Teachers, choosing activities that have several pages. So you can just work through a whole unit at um, like one page per day. For example, um, we were working on CBC words for our language arts lesson. And it's an activity that comes with like 20 different Google slides. And so we just do three Google slides a day and that's it. Um, but having something like that has made it super easy to streamline so that every day I'm not trying to like pull the CBC activity. It's just all included in those resources. So as you're looking for resources to use digitally, look for some that are going to last you so that when you're making your lesson plans, you can just use the same thing for like two weeks. It's really hard. So at first I tried to just integrate the virtual kids into my classroom rotations with um, the face-to-face the -face kids and managing both at the same time in a lesson is just really hard. So I switched on Thursday to um, doing my virtual lesson separate from my face-to-face -face lesson for my gr group that is um, lower academically um, and needs a lot more behavioral and academic support. And then my groups that are um, more independent, I do still do it at the same time because they can't, we can manage that. Um, and so it's just a little bit of, you have to kind of figure out what's gonna work best for your class. Um, both methods have worked, just depending on the group of kids. Um, so for the kids that need that more, more support, I'm doing it separate. For the kids that can manage it, I'm doing it together. I think for me, when I first started teaching in-person students, blended students, remote students, it was all very daunting to think, how am I going to sign all these tasks, also meet with my remote students, also teach the kids who came to school that day who have missed school for six months. And I felt myself getting very overwhelmed. And the thing that's worked for me is to really lean on the other adults in my room. These pairs are there for a reason. The pair professionals in my classroom are amazing. So utilizing them as much as they can be utilized. They can be teaching the lesson online while I'm teaching in person. They can be teaching in person if I want to meet with the distance people online. So I've really found a good groove with working with my paraprofessionals and the other adults to make sure that all the students are getting the instruction that they need. It's definitely still overwhelming making all the extra material, but I think that really leaning on those other adults has made it manageable for me. Um, I'm not doing it well, <laughs> but I'm trying to balance it. I think it's been actually really fun to be creative and figure out how I can do both at the same time. It's um, forced me to be more organized and on top of things. So I have a, um, some of my staff dedicated to remote learning at a certain time of the day. So that allows me to really focus on the in-person kids. And then um, my students that are in-person come a little bit 
later and they leave a bit earlier. So I dedicate like my later afternoons to the remote students to see them face to face. Um, but I've just been trying to plan as much as I can and keep it really, really simple. I'm not trying to do these really creative, fun lessons, just what we need to get done. Um, yeah, trying to be as organized as possible, but it's definitely tricky to split your time. This was the second episode in my Teaching During the Pandemic mini-series. I hope this episode helped you tackle some of the challenges that come with hybrid teaching. If you missed the first episode, it was episode 55, and that one covered all things about teaching in person during the pandemic. And next week, we'll hear episode 57, which is all about distance teaching. If you're enjoying this podcast series, I would greatly appreciate if you left me a rating and a review that helps me share more of the knowledge I've been able to acquire with other people. And it means the world if you take the time to do that. In the meantime, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I can't wait to talk to you again in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard, I would greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and AdaptationStation.net. It's taco night in my house, so I'm going to go have a delicious dinner and a margarita, and I will talk to you guys again next Friday.